May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If you have a Bible handy, I invite you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Or if you'd prefer, you may read the text that is printed for you in your worship order. A few weeks ago, we touched on Jesus' prayer in John 17, and I told you then that we would revisit this prayer once we finished our series on the Gospel of John, and so that's what we are going to do today. I simply want us to focus on verses 20 to 26, and that will be the main part of the sermon, uh, sermon text, but I will read verses 1 to 3 in conjunction with that. If you are willing and and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. God's word reads, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I, have, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Like many of you, through the years, I have wrestled with Jesus' prayer request that all believers would be one. And like many of you, I've been in a variety of different kinds of churches, some churches that took seriously Jesus' prayer that all believers would be one, and some churches who did not take it as seriously. I've been in places where people wanted to pursue unity with brothers and sisters in Christ who were of different denominational stripes, and I've been in churches where people refused to pursue unity with people who were of different denominational stripes. I've been in churches where people had a hard time pursuing unity with one another, even within their same movement or denomination because we always find reasons to divide or to be distinct from one another. We find reasons why we don't have to be one with that brother or that sister. We should only be one with the brother or sister who is 
like us. And so we become the standard of unity, the standard of, of who can be in fellowship. So like many of you, I've wrestled with uh, not only the fact that Jesus prayed that all believers would be one, but I wrestled with the fact that in our experience as we look around, and I mean in my own experience, my personal experience, and then in my experience among churches, it doesn't seem as if this prayer is being answered or has been answered. It's troubling. I've been in places where people called us to pursue unity and they look for all kinds of ways to do that. And you find that as people take it upon themselves to pursue unity, they often reduce the requirements for unity, for oneness, for union uh, to a minimalistic set of doctrines or a minimalistic set of practices and say this is what we can be one on. This is what will be the basis of our unity. In other words, I say all of this to, to say that if you are frustrated by the fact that there is much division or appears to be much division in the body of Christ, then I share your pain and your sorrow with that as well. But I want to highlight something for you in this story that I think we glossed over last time and uh, something we can highlight tonight as we slow down a bit to look at Jesus' prayer. I want to start by taking the pressure off, by easing your minds and removing the tension, by highlighting for you this one truth that's often overlooked, and that is this. That Jesus did not pray that you and I would go out and generate unity. That is not his prayer. He does not pray that his followers will somehow find a way to make it all work. That's not his prayer. He is asking the Father and the Holy Spirit to take all people who believe in Jesus on the basis of the Apostles' word. He's asking God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to bring those people into union with Christ and also into communion with the triune God. In other words, for those of us who feel the burden or feel the pressure to go out and generate unity or somehow make unity among believers happen, well, you should know that that is not what Jesus asked us to do. Later, the apostles will tell us that our responsibility is to maintain the unity of the Spirit, to maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit generates and creates and establishes among God's people. But it's not up to us to make it happen. Is that a relief to you or is it just a relief to me? It's a relief to me because for years I've tried to make it happen to little or no avail, it seems. And despite my best efforts in recent years to maintain the unity of the Spirit and even go beyond, perhaps even create the unity of the Spirit, I find that it's very difficult to do. Well... Relief is found in the actual prayer of Jesus, where on one hand, he prays for our union, and the other hand, he prays for our communion. And I'll try to unpack what I mean by that as we go. Several years ago in my first ministry in Oklahoma, 
uh, lived in a small town, and it was a, a good experience. I didn't realize then how good it was. It was only in retrospect that I realized that was actually a really good experience. Uh, Click my heels three times and wish I could go back, right? Uh, I remember a day where I went to the cafe. Everyone went to the cafe at 10.30. All the men of town went, and I was convinced to go. So I walk in one morning, and uh, I saw the pastor of the Baptist church sitting by himself. There was another table in the middle of the cafe where all of the businessmen sat. The or businessmen sat. Uh, the the banker was there. The guy who ran the grocery store. Uh, um, the leading men in different churches were there. But the pastor was by himself. And I was young and naive at the time, so I just plopped down in the booth next uh, across from him and and struck up a conversation. And uh, we visited for a couple of minutes, and then. He stopped me mid-sentence, and he said, Hey, I want you to listen. Don't look around. Just listen. And so I did, and it was like pin drop silence in the cafe. And I was like, What is going on? Because that place was usually buzzing with activity. He had been a pastor in that town for quite some time, and he said to me, This is probably the first time that people in this town have seen a Baptist pastor and a Church of Christ minister sit at a booth together without arguing. It was a very uncomfortable moment, but then he and I started laughing our heads off because we felt like we had been involved in a scandal. (laughs) So here we were simply trying to pursue a friendship, trying to flesh out what Jesus had prayed for. And we both recognized that in our town and in our respective churches, that was frowned upon, even though it's the thing Jesus prayed that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit would cause to happen. And I wrestled with that, and I felt that tension uh, for years. I have a picture here, a photograph. Uh, I'll be happy to show it to any of you who want to see it later. But this is a photograph of some men that I met in Oaxaca, Mexico, years and years ago. And I was invited to this particular gathering of men every Friday for a breakfast. It was a breakfast club made up of men from different denominations, different movements, men who were deacons, men who were missionaries or pastors, men who had some interest in leading in their church, whatever the title was. And we would gather every Friday for the purpose of eating breakfast, praying together, working through some passage of Scripture to encourage one another in each other's work. And then oftentimes we would leave there in groups of two or three and go and make house visits to, people, uh, to different people in each other's churches. All for the purpose of just trying to love and serve Christ and His people in the city of Oaxaca. And it was a beautiful demonstration of what Jesus prayed for, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life because it was the first time in my life that I actually saw this kind of thing happen where people would come together on the basis of their faith in Jesus Christ and they would mutually encourage one another without trying to slaughter and dismantle each other. We had a lot of differences, and because we formed these friendships, we were able to hammer out those differences over time. We visited each other's churches. We were invited to speak at each other's gatherings, and we saw that the work of the gospel began to flourish and thrive in ways that none of us had seen or expected before. And that was my first taste or my first experience of what 
God's people working together in the power of the Holy Spirit for the gospel of Jesus Christ would look like. And it was beautiful. But there were people who had come to this breakfast who despised what we were doing because they wanted to highlight all of the differences we had and they wanted to use those as sources of division and conflict among us. Now, we weren't downplaying the differences. We were simply saying that some things have to be held in a closed hand and other things can be held in an open hand. And those closed hand things, like the triune God and the gospel of grace, were never going to go away. But some other things, open-handed things, uh, we were fine to, to let bygones be bygones. Now, what does all that have to do with our sermon text today? Well, I want to suggest to you that those two experiences that I had are similar to experiences that you have had, and they're probably the result of the prayer that Jesus offered the Father. He prayed that the Father would make all believers one. And somehow, in the history of the world, in the history of the church, in the experience of our lives, we find ourselves drawn to people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We find ourselves sympathizing with people who express faith in Christ. Strangely enough, I've seen this happen, we don't always think about people who are local and nearby as being our brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we see someone on the other side of the world martyred because of their faith in Jesus, if we see someone who is kneeling on a beach take a knife across their neck for their faith in Christ, we feel drawn to that. We feel as if we ourselves have been attacked because we have been. That was our brother in Christ. We hear about a shooting in a church, a church that we probably would not have attended or been a part of if we lived in that town. But we hear about a shooting take place in a church and people are mowed down by a vicious mind. And we sympathize immediately with that, not only for the humanity of it, but because we identify with those people who were gathered in the name of Christ around God's Word. Yes, we have a lot of differences of opinion about things with them. But do you see how your soul somehow feels knit to that person or to that community? And then we see other people who do things in the name of Christ that disgust and repulse us. People who want to protest at funerals and wave their banners and make a mockery of the things of God. And we reject that. Not on the basis of the brand on the door of their church, but because they live in contradiction to the very things Jesus prayed for here. Love and unity in the triune God. Our town is full of churches. You can't walk 10 feet practically without running into a church. Everyone, as in scare quotes, everyone claims to be a Christian. And we know that many are, but we also know that many are not, despite their claims. So what do you do with that? Jesus is not praying that we would cease to be discerning or that we would not care about doctrine or that we would not care about mission. 
Now, he's actually praying that God would bring together, make one, all those who believe in him on the basis of the apostles' testimony. And so the testimony of the apostles is foundational. Let me walk you through a couple of things Jesus mentions here. In verses 20 to 23, he prays for our union. And I'm going to insist on the word union here and not simply unity. He prays for our union. He is our mediator, our intercessor. He is the one who is asking these things on our behalf. And I want you to remember the context that this is the night that he was betrayed. This is the night before he was crucified. And you were on his mind. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's asking that we would be one. He's not simply praying for the 11 disciples who were still there. He's praying for people who would come after them and who would believe in him on the basis of their teaching and preaching and writing, on the basis of their testimony. He prays that we will be one as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. He prays that he will be in us and that we will be in him and that we will all together be in the Father, that we will become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me. In other words, when this kind of union takes place, that becomes a living witness of the power of the gospel in the world. It's something the world can take note of and see. Now this again is not simply about a horizontal unity and human unity that we pursue. This is something that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are working towards in us. In other words, to put a very fine point on it, on this particular night when Jesus was praying, this is what he was not praying. He was not praying that Catholics and Orthodox and Protestants would become one. That's not what he was praying. We, that was not even on his mind. He was not praying that that Baptists and Charismatics and Presbyterians would all somehow be one. That's not what he's praying. Because that assumes that those, those labels and those brands are okay, but they're not okay. In other words, when I say they're not okay, I mean they're not a part of his design and purpose. So he wasn't saying, you guys have to maintain your strong convictions about all of these little fine points of doctrine and then figure out a way to be one with each other. And when you can figure that out, then the world will know that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father to save the world. That's not what he's asking. He's praying that all of those believers, true believers, who are within those different groups and there are many within these different groups that those believers will be one that they'll be one and that oneness that union takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit it might surprise you to know this that the Presbyterian Church in America does not consider itself to be the only true church of Christ in the world that's one reason we practice open communion. Our book of church order makes it clear that, and it's in our worship order, that all 
who are baptized into Christ and believe in Him are welcome to Christ's table. That all members of any Christian church, in good standing in any Christian church, may come and eat at this table because it's not a Presbyterian table. It's Christ's table. And He's gracious enough to even let Presbyterians come and eat at it. But you see, he's praying for the oneness, the union of all believers, wherever they are. And aren't you relieved in your life when you're at work or school or on the street or in a cafe, wherever you happen to be, aren't you relieved when you meet someone who is a fellow believer in Christ? Even when you have differences with them. You have a lot of in-house debates, a lot of brotherly discussions. In recent uh, months, I've been able to gather with a group of pastors here in this town just for the purpose of praying. And I'll tell you, it's sometimes it's wheels off. And I wonder, do I fit in here? Do I belong in this place? And I have to fight against my flesh. My flesh is saying, run away, run away. But something else says, no, we, we should pursue these things. We should work towards this. Uh, why? It's for the glory of God. It's for the good of our community. So do we have differences? Yes. Do we get to hammer them out? Of course we do. And the more we love each other and the more we get to know each other and there's trust, then the deeper those conversations go. I've had wonderful conversations with the pastor of Calvary First Baptist over doctrinal issues. And I'm not suggesting that I've moved the needle at all with him and, or that he's moved it with me, but it's fun just to have a brother in Christ with whom we can sit down and hash out things without killing each other and walk away as friends and brothers in the very end. That's the kind of thing Jesus was praying for, and it's the kind of thing that we see. If we're careful, we'll see that kind of thing at work in our lives. Okay, So he prayed for our union. And I want to say it again just to be clear. He did not ask us to generate this unity. He did not ask us to fabricate it or negotiate it, which is what we tend to want to do. He's asking the Father to grant us union with each other and with the triune God. And that union is a work of grace. It is a work of grace. If it were simply a work of our flesh, of our efforts, it wouldn't be grace. And so I'm thankful that he prayed in this way. So the prayer he offers for all believers can only be answered by God the Father and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not by you or not by me and not by us, even working hard at it together. But what we can do is we can enjoy it and we can strive to maintain that unity. In other words, we don't want to be the cause or the source of division and conflict among God's people. We want to maintain the peace and unity of the body of Christ at all costs. As far as it depends on us, let us live at peace with our brothers in Christ. Now the question is, this is a great request he's made, but the question is, does God the Father answer this? And I would say, yes, of course he's answering the prayer of Jesus. Why would the Father deny his Son? Why would the Father say, no, you've asked many things, but that's, that's where I draw the line. No unity, no union, no oneness between believers. That's not going to happen, son. No, the Father is answering his prayer. He has answered it through the ages. He's answering it now, and he will continue to answer it going forward. Now... 
the next thing he says in 24 to 26 is a prayer for communion, which sounds very much like union, but it intensifies the relational aspect of it because it involves more people. It involves uh, more persons. It involves Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it also involves you and you and you and then your family and friends who are in Christ your family and friends who are in Christ who happen to be in other churches or movements or denominations. It involves those people who are in Christ because they believe Jesus on the basis of the apostles' testimony, which is what John has told us his whole gospel was about, right? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing that you may have eternal life in his name. So who are these believers about whom and for whom Jesus prayed? They're, they're all people everywhere who believe that He is the Son of God, that He is the Word made flesh, that He is the God-man, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the Lord of His people. That's who He was praying for. So then He adds this one about communion, praying for our communion with one another. Um, just to refresh your memory, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am and to see my glory you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me and I've made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So you see this interpersonal, this interpersonal relationship that you are in Christ and Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ by love and that you are in the Father by love and the Spirit is in you by that same love and the Spirit is uniting you to one another in love and bringing you into Christ in love and you see how we all get intertangled and intertwined together in love. That's what communion is about in this prayer. Jesus desires something. He wants this. And so he makes this request known. I want all whom you have given me. That's union with Christ. All that you have given me through election and through predestination. I say that because of what he says about something happening before the foundation of the world. I want all of those people who have been on our minds from all eternity to be with me where I am. In other words, Jesus doesn't want his mission in the world to have been in vain. He came into the world to rescue and ransom all of those whom the Father sent him to purchase, to redeem. And he's asking the Father to ensure that all those people for whom he died will be gathered into him, gathered to him, and that they will be brought into the presence of the Father and Holy Spirit together. Isn't that beautiful? That's a pretty intense prayer, isn't it? This goes way beyond guide, guard, and direct us kind of stuff. This is intense because it becomes so interpersonal and intertwined. Why does Jesus pray all of this? Notice he says he's praying all of this so that we can experience the same love with which the Father loved Jesus. 
This is so much better than what I used to think. Is Jesus prayed this so that we would all get along with each other and stop fighting. And then people in the world would say, oh, bravo, look at those people getting along together. Jesus must be the Son of God because they're not fighting anymore. No, Jesus says he's praying these things for us so that we can experience the same love with which the Father loved Jesus. I can't get my heart and mind around that. It's such an overwhelming thought, but it's an overwhelming thought that doesn't lead me to despair, but one that leads me to joy. How about you? Those of you who doubt the Father loves you, isn't it good to know that a part of Jesus' prayer is that the Father would love you the way He loves Jesus? And you might be thinking, well, He should love Jesus the way He loved Jesus because Jesus was such a great Son. He never did anything wrong. He always pleased His Father. But I, on the other hand, I'm a wretch. I'm broken. I've cheated and lied and, and stolen. I've done all these nasty things. There's no way the Father will love me like that. Oh, and then I'm with a community of people who could say the same kinds of things and probably worse. And yet He wants the Father to love us the way He loved Him. You see how selfless Jesus is in His desire to share the love of the Father with us. To share the Father with us. To bring us into His family together. So He's not this jealous older brother like, oh, these people are going to crowd my space and they're going to rob the love of God for me in some way. No, He said, no, I want to share this with my people. I want the Father to love them and I want them to know the love of the Father the way I know the love of the Father. What a beautiful prayer. And so it's basically, put in other words, Jesus is saying, Father, will you let all those who believe in me come live with us? And Father, will you make sure they experience our union and communion in themselves? And, and Father, while I'm at it, will you grant them union and communion with each other and with us? so that we can be one gigantic, happy family in the new heavens and new earth. In other words, Jesus wants you to experience all of the cool things and the cool places that He gets to experience with the Father, like the glory with which the Father bestowed upon Him, eternal glory that is manifested in infinite love. And He wants us to experience this deep dwelling love of the Father. He wants the Father to make sure that you know that He loves you the way He loves Jesus. And I don't know if you know that. You do now, but I don't know if you knew that like 30 seconds ago. And even if you're not fully convinced of it, you might start echoing Jesus' prayer and just say, yeah, what He said. I'd like some of that in my life. What He said. He said it better than I said it. Can I have some of that love as well? So again, will the Father grant His Son's wish? Will the Father give Jesus what He asked for? And the answer is yes. He has granted it. He is granting it. And He will continue to do so. He will continue to do so. Well, I wanted us to revisit this prayer one more time, not to put on you the burden of pursuing unity, 
perhaps put on you the burden of maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But more than that, to remind you that part of this prayer was that you would be brought into this union and communion of the love of God the Father. Don't underestimate the power of that love. Don't underestimate this thing for which Jesus prayed and asked the Father to give you. Remember in all these things that He sent Christ into the world to demonstrate His love for you, for all of you who trust in Him and believe in Him on the basis of the Apostles' testimony. Well, let us pray together and ask God to continue doing what Jesus asked Him to do. The prayer I want to, to read is a prayer that in many ways echoes the things that Jesus prayed. And you can find it in your worship order if you'd like to read it. But I think it's a beautiful prayer for us to meditate on. And if we pray, we should pray it with sincerity of heart. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy church, Catholic, universal. Fill it with all truth and all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. Give us grace to seriously lay to heart the great dangers which are in, our, which are in us by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord, just as there is but one body and one spirit, and one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may all be of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity, and may with one mind and one mouth glorify you for the sake of him who died and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.